Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. This message is one that um, part of it I, I delivered to the youth on Friday. And afterwards, Nina said, hey, did you, do you have any, you know, have, have you finished your message for Sunday? And I said, I said, no, I'm, I'm still kind of working on it. And she goes, um, I think this might be really good for our church congregation to hear. And so after hearing that, going back and thinking about it and praying about it a little bit, I agreed with that sentiment. And um, so I'm, I'm tweaked it a little bit for us, but um, everybody young and old, will, not, not that you're old and they're young, but everybody, every age demographic will have got the, uh, this particular message um, this week. And so it's called the face of Christianity. And um, I'm going to go over here real quick and grab my creepy little prop that's been hiding behind the, and when I talk about the uh, face of Christianity, here's what I mean. Um, if you are one of the many, many sad people that reside in Phoenix since last Tuesday because the Suns were not able to close the deal on the uh, the championship. I'm sorry, Sergio. He's going to throw something at me or turn all the mics off here. They beat the Lakers. That's fine. Okay. Touche, my friend. And you are absolutely correct. Thank you, Sergio, my resident uh, Suns competition. Um but ever since uh, the Suns lost, uh, there's been talk in like the sports world, and I'm a sports guy, so forget the analogy, ladies, if you're not in, into sports. Um, but there's been a lot of talk in the sports world about who's the new face of the NBA for years and years and years. It has been. Huh? Le- it w- no, 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 no. No, no, the, the face of the NBA for the last 15 years, like the, the, the most famous guy well, he hasn't played in a long time, but since it, LeBron, there you go. There you go. LeBron James has been considered the face of the NBA for a very long time because he's the most famous guy. He's won all these things, but everyone has seen, you know, father time catch up with him. And so all of them are now saying that it's no longer LeBron James. It is now the guy who plays for the champion Milwaukee Bucks. They're saying it's Giannis Antetokounmpo. And yes, I did say that correctly because I practiced it a couple times before I got here. Um, he's a, his nickname's a Greek freak. He's seven feet tall. He dribbles like a guard. He can't shoot worth anything in the world, but he is like Shaquille O'Neal back in the day, like just dominant, powerful guy. And, um, so everyone looks at him as, oh, he's the new face of the NBA. He is the standard. He is the one that we look at. This guy's humble. He's not arrogant. He's a real personable. What's his workout like? What's his regiment like? What is his training like? How long does he rest? How long does he the work out? How long is, are his cardio sessions? And they all look at him as this new standard. And they, and when people look at somebody as the standard of their industry, they refer to them as the face of fill in the blank, like the face of the, the country, the face of the company, the face of the, the sports league. And that would be a guy named Giannis. And so when I'm talking about the face of something, I'm talking about the standard setter, the one who everybody looks at to kind of rally around. It's the first line in your notes is that the world is looking for one particular person to rally around. The world is looking for one particular person to rally around. This is problematic. 
because no matter who becomes the face or the, the person or the, that one person that we put our hope in, they're going to lead us to freedom. They're going to lead you know, our political party to one you know, land or another. They're going to lead our business to the, the greatest years we've ever had. At some point in time, whoever that person is that's been anointed as the one we're going to rally, rally around and rally behind, the standard setter, they're going to fall apart. I've not yet in my 25 years of life um, seen any person live up to the hype at their whole life. Every single one of them eventually falls apart. But people in the world who are not believers are looking for that guy, that girl, that person. They are looking for the one that they can kind of put their hope and put their faith in. This person's legit. They're going to do what they say. They have integrity. And every single time, it eventually falls apart. This is not a new problem. This is not like American culture problem. This is a human problem going all the way back to the Bible times because next line in your notes, Israel also wanted one person to lead them as well, but they wanted a king. They wanted a king. Up until this point in Israel's history that we're going to read in 1 Samuel chapter 8, up until this point, um, God was their king. That was how it was presented, that God is the one ruling over you, and he has people that are kind of working for him, prophets and judges that are going to kind of handle the day-to-day -day operations, but ultimately God is their king, and Israel gets tired of it. And they're looking around at all the other nations around them, and they go, man, we want to be like them. How come we don't have a guy? How come we don't have a king? How come we don't have that person, the face of Israel? Because when we think of, you know, the Amorites, we think of their king. And we think the Midianites, we think of their king. But when people think about us, Israel, they only think of God and we can't see him. And so we're kind of tired of that. Look what they tell the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 8, verses 1 through 8. As Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Jonah and Abijah, his oldest sons, held court in Beersheba. They're, they were not like their father, for they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge like all the other nations have. We want to be like everybody else. Samuel was, Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, and have continue, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods, and now they're giving you the same treatment. The people of God, the children of God, looked around them and said, we don't want to be governed by God and his judges anymore. We want a person. And God said, okay, this is not going to work out well for you. Kind of like we talked about last week, the passive judgment of God. He said, I'm going to give you what you want so you can bear the consequences of what you want. And they got a king, and it was a train wreck, a real train wreck. Next line of your notes, God's idea for believers in Christ, us today, is to carry the light of the gospel to a dark world. 
to carry the light of a gospel to the dark world. However, believers also fall into the trap of looking for one person to rally around. This is something that we have picked up from our human nature and from our culture is we need a guy. We need a person. We need a lady. We need a somebody to stand up that's going to, we're all going to rally around. And that's the one that we're going to go and kind of um, put our efforts and hope in and push that one forward. And that's going to be the guy. That's going to be the, the face of what we do. Most people, when you ask them today in our culture, who's the face of Christianity in culture, in our culture, they would tell you the next on your notes. Most people think the face of Christianity is the person who first told them about Jesus or the most popular Christian they can think of. Now, this is a problem as well. Because every single person that has been put up as the guy, the girl, the person has always fallen apart in the world and as a believer in Jesus. Let me give you some examples real quick. Many people think incorrectly piece of Christianity They think it's their family. And many of you go, man, why in the world do people think their family is the face of Christianity? Because for many people, their family is the one that originally took them to church or took them to Sunday school or took them to their children's service at their church and introduced them to Christ. And what they do is they go, oh, they're the one that took me. They're the one that told me. And they prop them up, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, whoever, somebody in their family. And they prop them up and they go, oh, they're the one that told me. And so in their mind, even if though they, they don't say it out of their mouth, that person from their family kind of becomes the face of Christianity to them. I did this. All of these things that are incorrect um, faces of Christianity, I fell for and believed at one point in time in my life. I presented this to the youth on Friday because I was their age when the, the reality that it wasn't what I thought it was, the face of Christianity wasn't who I thought it was, came crashing down, and it destroyed my faith for a little while. I, even after God graciously, lovingly convicted me to the point where I would come back and, and, and resubmit my life to him, I struggled with this again over part of my adult life. So I, I don't think, I'm not naive enough to think that none of us in here have either do this now or have never done this. We have looked at the person who has told us, maybe a family member, and it's a, the next four little bullet points there on your notes. The first one's family. These are incorrect people that we look at as the face of Christianity, but the truth is they're not. Is your family member or your parent, if your parent told you about Jesus or a family member told you about Jesus, are they the true face of Christianity? And the answer is no, they're not. So if it's not your family, if it's not your family, then maybe it's your friends who are trying to God. 
Maybe we look at friends as the people that led us to Christ. We look at them and go, man, those are the people who were telling me the truth and led me to the gospel. And then we watch them do things that are not in line with the gospel and not in line with scripture. We become let down. So the second line in your notes is friends. And so the question is the same. Are our, fam- are our friends, if our family's not the face of Christianity, are our friends the face of Christianity? And the answer is no. Get a little bit closer to home on this one. If it's not your family and not your friends, maybe it's church. It's like God's business, right? Like we're all supposed to be about teaching people about God, doing God's business. So Maybe the church is the face of Christianity. And even I thought this as a young man, but I watched things happen at the church that were not congruent with Scripture, were not in line with what they had even taught me Scripture was supposed to say, that that I was supposed to do, how my behavior was supposed to be in line as a believer in Christ. And so I found real quickly that is the church the face of Christianity? No. Got another one for you. Not the church, the organization. Maybe it's the guy who was leading the organization. Is it supposed to be the pastor's? Because it's well documented here, I've been very transparent about that, that the pastor I grew up in my home church uh, stole money from the church, a lot of it. Yelled and screamed and hollered and threatened and berated people who, including my own dad, who called them on it and then called all the other churches in the area to make sure they wouldn't let us come when we decided to leave. So I can tell you for darn sure, pastors are not the face of Christianity. Those four lines, family, friends, church, and pastors. Unfortunately, most people who are not believers in Christ look at the family who told about them, the the friends who claim Christianity, the, the churches who are supposed to represent God, and the pastors who present the word of God. They look at them as the face of Christianity because they're looking for a guy. And many of us have done the exact same thing. And if it wasn't you, then it definitely was me. Because I did that. The reality is the real face of Christianity Ask the next line of your notes. The real face of Christianity is Jesus. Did you know that Jesus and his followers did not come up with the name Christian? Unbelievers who did not follow Jesus 
who did not believe in the resurrection, who were not committed to God, unbelieving Gentiles looked at people who called themselves Christians and said, those people are living in the likeness of, they are part of the group of Christ followers. And they were so committed to following the teachings of Jesus that non-believers called them Christians. Christ, the first part of that is Jesus Christ. Ian is the, the part of, of the group of, in the group of Christ, Christians. Every Christian has a temptation that's probably smaller than that of the pastor or minister to at some point in time try to be the face of Christianity to our friends, family, and those who are not believers. I can tell you for sure, and you can probably name by name several just in the last six months, pastors who were the guy, the person, the, the husband and wife team that ran these massive ministries that all of a sudden massive sin was uncovered in their life. Cheating on his wife or taking money or, or intimidating tactics with people in the church and literally tailing them as they drive across this very city. All these crazy things that are not a reflection of the body of Christ at all. But because the world's looking for the face, and we think, I'll never do that. I'll never mess up like that. I'll never dip into the funds. I'll never have any kind of thoughts about some other person that's not my spouse. I'll never do any of that stuff. Let me stand up there, but Proverbs warns, give someone a little bit of fame, and you will see exactly what's in their heart. We can dress this up all real nice and we can woo, get the best camera equipment and put some makeup on me. I'll never do that. But just for, for, you know, for analogy's sake, put some makeup and some nice little lights and make it look all good. But if I go home and treat her terrible, all this, this face is eventually going to wash off. And people are going to see that no one lives up to being that face other than him. Has, has any Christian ever perfectly represented Christ? No. Has any pastor, church leader, minister ever perfectly represented Jesus? No. But I can almost guarantee you that everybody who's here and everybody who'll listen to this later and might be watching it right now has some story of an interaction with a believer or maybe a pastor or a church or something that has caused a massive hurt for you. Almost every wildly vocal atheist, almost everyone has a story of some type of wound, hurt, disappointment by someone who called themselves a Christian. And because we're looking for a face of Christianity and we are tempted to be like, hey man, look at me, I'm not going to let you down. Guess what happens? We fail 
and in failing to be the face of Christianity, what happens? People walk away from Jesus because we did not correctly say he's the face and not me. Nina randomly, or not randomly, but I, I feel it was prompted by the Holy Spirit. We didn't realize it until about 30 minutes before the service. The, ser- the, the song that she sang, the very last verse on the first song was Jesus at the center of it all, including our church. So before, before we look at the world, the non-believers and say, guys, Why are you looking for a person? Why are you looking for a man? Why are you looking for somebody to rally around? Why are you looking for a flesh and blood standard setter? Before we try to mow the lawn, let's clean the inside of the house here and let's deal with us. And let's say, why are we looking for a guy? Why are we looking for a person? Why are we looking for a man or a woman that we can rally behind? How come we are still looking for that, even though all of us in this room just admitted verbally and physically acknowledged through your voice or through the nodding of your head that there is nobody who is going to be perfect in the representation of Jesus Christ because we are not him? Why are we still looking for a person? The problem is now that we have been looking for a person so long and we only have imperfect people representing a perfect savior. And to me, I go, well, that's not a good idea. Who made this plan? We should have perfect people representing a perfect God, but God said, no, I don't want you to be perfect because if you become absolutely perfect without flaw, then you might want the glory for yourself. I see a lot of people who, who, are, who are named the America's pastor, Canada's pastor, the church's lead all over the magazine covers. I'm not against that. I'm looking for the story of the person who turned down the magazine cover. And I haven't found it yet. Why? Because everybody goes, I can do so much good. And their intention may have been good to step forward and try to say, I'm going to just teach the right thing and sing the right thing and live the right way. But when they became, they put their face as the face of Christianity, we eclipsed the one we're supposed to be representing. That light that we have is supposed to shine the light on the gospel and our sin, not our face. It's a, the, the, the Bible and the, the, the fire that burns us as a light into our, a lamp into our feet and a light into our path, not a spotlight for people to see us in the dark. 
So what do we do as believers in Christ who we have all of this wound, this hurt, this frustration from people that we looked up to and went, man, they are jacked up. They messed up. They did all this stuff. And I have all this wound so much. I don't even know if I want to come in here no more. I don't know if I was almost done with church. I can't tell you how many people in the last 18 months Nina and I have run into who used to go to church, who used to be involved, but somebody did something. They looked at them and they fell apart and they were like, I'm tired of it. And there's part of me that gets it. I get it. But the reason I'm tired of it is because I was looking for someone to be my face of Christianity instead of seeking the one whose face is the face of Christianity. So what do we do? I'm not saying the hurt wasn't real. I'm not saying what they did was right because I got stories, man. I got stories, and so do all y'all. I used to think I was the only one that had the uniqueness of these crazy depth of hurt stories. And as I began to not be so foolish and listen to other people, I went, oh, my gosh. This is a widespread problem. No, it's widespread humanity. So what do we do? Next on your notes, Jesus gives us direct instructions for dealing with those who disappoint or fail us. Jesus gives us direct instructions for dealing those dealing with those who disappoint or fail us. And this is a scripture that we're going to use that is wildly used out of context a lot, but I'm going to hopefully give you some context to it today. Matthew 7, 1 through 5, this is Jesus talking. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. You will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own? Hypocrite. Get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. For years, when I'd read this passage, I thought, oh, man, if I don't judge others, God's not going to judge me. Uh, this has nothing to do with God's judgment on me. I am fully deserving of the judgment that I have earned through my sin. I also thought for a while, well, if he's not talking about that, then um, maybe this is, man, the way I judge others is the, the harshness of how God's going to deal with me. And again, no, because if God dealt with me on my harshness, oh man, I wouldn't be here. Next sign in your notes, the scripture is communicating that people will judge us with the same standard we use to judge others. People will judge us with the same standard we use to judge others. This was a hard pill for me to swallow because when I was done wrong and my family was done wrong by that pastor when I was a teenage kid, I said all kinds of stuff that I will not repeat here in a church on Sunday from a microphone. It won't happen. But I said all kinds of stuff. 
I painted them in all kinds of light. The little bitty things that I knew, I made them seem worse than they really were. Uh, you know, I didn't care how, how bad it made them look or me look. I became harsh. Those guys are terrible. You have no idea what they're like behind the scenes. They do this, they do this, they do that, and da 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 da, da. And what I had no idea I was doing was I was communicating the standard by which I wanted everybody else to judge me. See, I was, I was, I fell into an age old problem, a humanity problem. I judged everyone else by their worst actions and myself by my best intentions. And that is how we operate most of the time by default. We judge others by their worst actions and ourselves by our best intentions. But no one saw my best intention. All they saw was the vile, poison that was spewing out of my mouth when I talked about people who had hurt me inside the body of Christ. But here, Jesus is clearly saying, hey, do you want grace from other people? Do you want forgiveness? Do you want to kind of someone to give you a mulligan every once in a while for all you non-golf people? It's like a free golf shop, like a do-over. Do you want them to give you a do-over every once in a while? Do you want the right to walk in and be like, man, I was tired. I was talking out of my behind. I just, I should not say things like this. I'm totally sorry. Can we just wipe that off the, the board and just let me start over? Do we want that to happen with us from other people? Then we're going to have to do that with other people. So all those people that hurt us, if we got to ease up on the, the vitriol, the anger, the, the hate that we're spitting out on them, even though they, because we incorrectly thought they were the face of Christianity, we thought they were the face of, of, of the gospel that was represented in our own life, and it was our problem. We incorrectly put them there. We put somebody in a place they could never survive, and then they hurt us, and then we blamed them for hurting us and letting us down, even though we put them in a position they never should have been in. So now the chickens have come home to roost, and what are we supposed to do with this frustration? What are we supposed to do with this anger? What are we supposed to do with this hurt? John 13, 34, 35 is the words of Jesus that apply really well for this. I am giving you a new chem a commandment. Love each other as I have loved you. You should love, as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. What we are supposed to do is act in the character and nature of the God who saved us. Even when the people let us down, when we put them in a spot they never should have been in. Next on your notes, the nature of God is shown throughout Scripture, but I'm going to read two very famous verses, and they're in your notes here. You can follow along here that show the nature of God very clearly. John 3.16, this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. 
next four little lines there in your notes is this, God, God's nature starts with love. God's nature starts with sacrifice. God's nature starts with forgiveness. And God's nature starts with grace. So what in the world am I supposed to do with the mistreatment or the disappointment that I have endured at the hands of other people? I'm supposed to start with these four, love, sacrifice, forgiveness, and grace. And I can tell you that is not the place Matt started when he was hurt. So if you say, oh my goodness, I have not exhibited any of those characteristics. You and I are in great company. Because <laughs> my guess is it's all of us. So when I look at the man who hurt my family as a teenager, and I looked at the, the three other pastors in my life who consecutively did very harmful things to me or my family, when I look at them and I have all of this frustration, I spent years, I'll never do that. I will never be like that person. I will never follow their example. When I should have said, love forgives. If I'm going to correctly reflect to the world that I am Christ's disciple, we just read that how he loves it's how I'm supposed to love. And when we do that, they're going to know that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And I did not show that love when I should have. It is a good thing that Matt Poole has never been the face of Christianity. Because there was a time when I was just young, ignorant, and arrogant enough. It's a deadly combination, ignorance and arrogance. And I had it in spades. There was a time where I wanted to be that guy. I'm disciplined enough. I've been around long enough. I've seen enough. Just put me in that spot, God. Oh, it didn't come out of my mouth. I would never sit up there and say that. That would be cocky. Couldn't let anybody know I had cockiness in me. My wife grins because she knew. She told me frequently over that span of time. But there was part of me, <laughs> there's part of me that really wanted to be that guy. Take me to the conferences, God. Take me up there. I'll go up there and represent you right, not like the rest of these idiots. And by his grace, he did not let me embarrass myself or him because it is a 100% guarantee that I would have. There was not a thought in me to start with love, sacrifice, forgiveness, or grace for the people who had done me wrong. Not an ounce. So, Matt, I'm supposed to let all this stuff go? Well, I'm not saying the, the hurt wasn't real. I'm not saying that what happened wasn't messed up to the nth degree that happened to you or to me. It's real. But I'm saying that the God who forgave us is the same God that will forgive the one who hurt you. 
And until we can swallow that truth, it's going to be hard for us to forgive. People who don't forgive believe themselves to have never needed it. Because if you ever look back in your life and go, oh, I needed grace there, you would be inclined to give it. Maybe you just forgot that you needed it. I did. I blamed all that period of time where I ran away from God on my pastor. He did wrong. He's the one who did this to me. I should get a free pass for all the craziness and stuff that I did that was I knew better. I should get a pass for all that because that was all out of hurt from him. So that really doesn't count against me. I'm still good. Mm -mm. It very much counted because I knew right and wrong. Problem was, I had a guy as the face, not the one who should have been. So what do I do now? Since you're not the guy, that's true. I am not the guy. Since Nina's not the person, correct, Nina's not the person. She'd be better at it than I would, but she's still not the person. All my favorite preachers and ministers I listen to on YouTube or on podcasts or on online, they're not the person either? Mm-mm. Nope. What do I do? Who do I rally around? Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life and faith, let us strip off, strip off every weight that uh, slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by what? Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Matt, there's a lot of people out there that I've told what has happened to me. And if I just tell them all of a sudden that I can't be mad anymore and I let it go, it's going to make me look bad. Jesus endured the cross, disregarding its shame. With no care how it made him look. I'll do the right thing. I will show love, sacrifice, forgiveness, and grace to the people who knew right and wrong and still did wrong anyway. And I am so grateful that he did. See what happens when we move a person out of the wrong place? and let Jesus occupy that seat. You see how, how the, the playing field is leveled? And now we can look at them and say, there's no perfect representation of Jesus. And if the person who hurt you was in fact, a, in fact submitted fully to Christ, they never would have done that thing to you. They wouldn't have. What they are showcasing is their need for grace. 
which is the same as your need for grace, which is the same as my need for grace. And we should all rally around the only one who can dispense that grace properly, and it is the true face of Christianity. And if we as the body of Christ can begin to pull these guys down, pull these ladies down, pull these people down that we have allowed to occupy this space in our own life, an example that everything revolves around him. He is the face of Christianity and not anybody else. Then we can example to the world who they should be looking at. But man, I thought we were supposed to be witnesses. Yes. You know what a witness does? Tells the story of what happened to him. If you're called as a witness in a trial, what do they do? Tell what you saw. Look, I don't know, but I saw this person hit this person with their car and then drive off. That's all I know. So what are you supposed to do? I was terrible. My heart was eaten up with envy, jealousy, anger, hatred, and frustration. I held grudges against everybody in the world and put on a plain, happy face so I could go to church and not be judged by the people that I was angry at. And God looked past my mask. He looked past my lips. He looked past the words I was saying, saw my heart, and that it was filthy and offered me away to be saved. I have achieved nothing. It's all him. If you want to know where to get your grace and forgiveness, I'll do the best I can to forgive it, forgive things you've done to me, but he's the author of it. He's the champion. He's the one that it all needs to circle around. I, um, had a pretty funny story happen to me. Um, things like this happen to me. I don't know why, but they just do. But I was eating at a, a local establishment, not too far from here, actually. One day, um, we're, we're, we're kind of foodie people. I'm a Yelp reviewer. Like, I just go there and tell the truth about the food. You know what I mean? Like, it's awesome. And um, uh, so we like trying like different restaurants and stuff. So about 15 years ago, so none of these people still work at this restaurant. I'm sure they're all gone, you know. They've transitioned on somewhere else. But I went into a Denny's, the greatest American food chain in history. Denny's, right? And I'm lying about that. Um, sorry if you own a Denny's. Um, but I went into a Denny's with a bunch of people, and it was a, a busy day. I don't remember what day it was, but it was just really busy. And we walked in with nine or ten of us, and it took us 45 minutes to get a seat. 45 minutes. I really wanted a Grand Slam with pancakes that day, right? Like, Because I waited 45 minutes for Denny's. So I went to McDonald's across the street and avoided this whole thing, but then I wouldn't have a story for you today. So we waited there and um, we finally got a seat and they sat us down and we sat there for 15 minutes. No one came by, no waiter came by, no waitress came by, nobody. And the guy walks over and says, hey, has no one come by to take your order? Or you at least bring you coffee or water or a drink or something? I said, nope. Like, oh my goodness, he left. We're, we're, we're messed up. Can you get up from where you are and come over to my section? I'll take care of you. So we all got up and moved over to the other side of the restaurant and sat down another 15 minutes. Nobody came back. Now, you know, I was young. I should have just got up and left, realized it was a bad day and whatever. But nope. My stubborn behind sat there with all of us and flagged the waiter down. He's like, nobody came to get your drink yet? I'm like, no, bro. You said you were going to do it. 
Oh, so he brought drinks finally, and we finally ordered. And like 30 minutes later, we were there like two hours before we got our food. So we sat down, and, and or we were already sitting down, and they brought all our food to us, and they put it all in front of us. And so everybody's eating, and the guy over here is like, I think there's a hair in mine. And I'm like, you're just a germaphobe. Just be quiet. You know, just keep eating. And so then it came to my plate, and so I got a fork out, and I ordered a ham and cheese omelet. Came with some pancakes, which is what I really wanted. And so anybody in here know what color a ham and cheese omelet is? What color? Yeah, I asked this right question. What color is it? Yellow for eggs, yeah. Okay, yeah. And the cheese is? Yeah, like an orangish yellow. And then the, then the ham is pink, right? So it's all these light colors, right? Yellow, orangish yellow, and pink. So I pull out the fork and bite off my first bite. It's not too bad, you know. My second bite in, I've already swallowed one of these bites. My second bite in, I fork out a piece and not on the plate, but baked into the omelet is the biggest blue rubber band you have ever seen in your life. It is as thick as my thumb. It was one of those they wrap like a bunch of like, uh, you know, industrial size amount of like uh, produce with and it just flied off and went into whatever their mix was for my thing. It was massive and it was giant like gumball blue. So it was really out of place. So I thought, oh, my goodness, everybody at the table, you know, dry heaving, you know, like being real dramatic and some like I'm going to go take it up to the front and. The manager was kind of real short with us and stuff and not really nice. So I went up and he's running the register and there's a big long line of people. And right next to him is the is like a like a table. And so I'm holding my my uh my my omelet with my you know blue rubber band and I'm facing it to me and and I walk up to the manager and he goes, You're gonna have to wait, sir. I have people here. And I went, Okay. So I just laid the plate down in front of his little kiosk there where he's sitting people and checking them in and out and all the people that were in line looked real quick at the at my omelet and they're like is that a I'm like yeah it's a rubber band right in the middle of the omelet it's awesome I didn't even order it this is like a freebie and so they started one by one leaving the restaurant and then um uh, the manager kind of realizes there's some kind of interaction going on between us and he looks at me and says can I help you so I handed in the plate, and I'm like, I just have a question. Does every ham and cheese omelet come with a blue rubber band? Because I didn't order it. And he looked at it, and just jaw just dropped. I am so sorry, sir. Let me get you another one. Nope. No, thank you. I'm good. My appetite's gone. Like, I've, I'm waterlogged by all the drinks I've had. I'm totally good. Just take it off my bill. He's a very apologetic, super sorry, right? So... I don't go back to that Denny's. It's been 15 years, and I have not gone back to that Denny's. Can you blame me? You wouldn't go back either, right? So after the big blue rubber band was found in the eggs, and I came and told you, hey, don't go back to that Denny's, you would agree. But if I said to you, I'm done with all restaurants, I'm not going back to another restaurant. You would tell me what? Overreacting. The, 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 the word that the youth group used on Friday was uh, ignorant. I was like, oh, yes, that is ignorant. Over, I would have much rather appreciated overreacting, so thank you. 
to overreacting. But why am I overreacting? Anybody? Why am I overreacting? I just had a bad experience. But aren't all restaurants the same? But they all have a manager. They all got an owner. They all got waiters and waitresses. They got the greeter who sits you at the door, who checks you out. They all got cash registers. All of these must be the same, right? No. That's ignorant. That's overreacting. But we will do the same thing with church. How many people are out there who said, I had a bad experience. All y'all are the same. All that preacher did was take nine offerings in the service. All y'all, all, all of you guys just want money. All of it's the same thing. All of you want the same thing. And it's not applicable because even though we had a bad experience with someone who called themselves a pastor, a church leader, a minister, a parent, a what? A friend who held the label of Christian or believer or church leader for us, even though that's what we had, it doesn't mean all of them will be that way. It doesn't mean that every Denny's will be that way. I saw somebody go, eh, maybe. <laughs> Actually, I saw two of y'all do that. But how many more restaurant chains are there just in a stone's throw of this building that we could try? Encapsulate that experience. It doesn't apply to everyone. And it's definitely not the experience we have when we pursue the face, the true face of Christianity. So now have a way to deal with all the angst, to deal with the disappointment of people that we put in an incorrect position. Now, let's make this real for a second. Next on your notes, everyone who claims to be a Christian will not make it to heaven. Everyone who claims to be a Christian will not make it to heaven. Matt, you're so harsh. No. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Jesus is, these are his words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. Our job, when someone says they are a Christian or a Christ follower, believe them, but examine the fruit of their life to see, is your heart really submitted to God? And if it is, I'm, I'm glad. And if it's not, you're kidding yourself. We have more than 52%, I think it's the number if I got it right, over the last research poll that was done, 
of people in America who claim to be Christians and less than 6% of them hold a biblical worldview. We got a lot of people kidding themselves. We got a lot of people thinking that the, the face of Christianity is the Bible with the rule book. I do the rules good. That was me. No, the face of Christianity is Jesus. I realized my own heart had changed when one of the people who hurt me, I thought about them one day and I was no longer angry. I was no longer vengeful. I was no, no longer spiteful. I realized my heart changed when I became worried for their salvation. Does somebody hurting somebody else's feelings or disappointing us lead to getting rid of their salvation? Absolutely not. But a sustained period of time where actions like this happen and there's no conviction and there's no repentance, it makes me go, ooh, I'm not exactly sure how all this is going to pan out for them, but I have a worry that they're not even going to make it. And when you get to that point where the person who's done you wrong or disappointed you it's evidence there's a change that's happened in you. Last line in your notes. So what are we supposed to do? We are ambassadors for Christ carrying his message of salvation. Scripture never tells us to become the most famous person on the planet and then I'm here, and I'm, Jesus is the one that got me here. And rally people around us, so then we can be like, just give him credit, but you're still rallied around us. Here's what we're supposed to do. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. We have stopped evaluating, evaluating others from a human point of view. We have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ as merely, a, uh, merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us, as believers, his followers, he's given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against him. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, following God will make you prosperous. No. We speak for God when we say, I know the secrets to the Bible. No. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Our job, we can't reconcile any man to God we can bring them to the one who reconciles all men to God.
he and he alone is the face of Christianity. What's presented to us today through this message is something very tough. Very tough. What's presented to us today through this message is an encouragement and maybe a conviction from the Holy Spirit that says, hey, been holding on to that wound, that disappointment, that frustration, that anger, that hatred, that thing that burns you up, and hanging on it too, hanging on to it too long. The person that disappointed you, who you held in such high regard, was never meant to be there. Doesn't mean you can't hold anybody in a high regard or take something that someone learned and apply it to your life. But you always have to realize the highest regard is him. And if he is the standard setter, and he is who we rally around, and he is the focus of what we're supposed to be about, then every other person who falls short of that, we operate in the nature of God from the instructions of Jesus with love, sacrifice, forgiveness, and grace.